Can we interview one, take one? I hope it's all at that level. insane. Welcome back to Radio Juxtapose. My name is Doug Gillen. Today you join me from the Sim Smith Gallery in South London in conversation with British artist Kemi Onabur. Since her debut solo show at Guts Gallery back in 2020, it seems like the momentum has only grown for painter and printmaker Kemi Onabuli. The warming embrace of the vividly coloured paintings that adorn the walls of this gallery starkly contrast the bitter, cold, grey January London that exists on the other side. With only three years behind her as a full-time artist, her second solo show, All the Land is Spoken For at Camberwell Sim Smith, marks a deeper exploration into our relationship with the natural world. Taking a step back from the clearly defined figurative works of previous exhibitions, the majority of this body focuses on the English landscape. A modern twist on Constable or Turner, these luminous oils glow and swirl in this exploration of identity, nationalism and ecology. If you happen to be listening from the US, Kemi currently has work showing at the James Cochran Gallery in New York and will be showing later on this year at Night Gallery in LA. All the details for these exhibitions will be in the show notes of this episode. As always, if you enjoyed this, let us know, give us a follow over on Instagram, and why not let us know if there's any guests you'd love us to get on the podcast. Let's get into it right here, right now, with Kemi Onabuli on Radio Juxtapose. We're sitting here in Sim Smith Gallery, in, in amongst your artwork, my original question when we had planned this is, this is the day of the opening, how do you feel pre-exhibition, pre-opening? <laughs> this is the rescheduled interview, so day after, the morning after, how, how do you feel right now? I feel good. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. It looks great. Thanks so much. No, I feel good. It was great. I had a, an artist talk or a conversation with uh, Dr. Edwin Kumbasaru, and he's very sanguine. And he just calmed me right down and we were able to have a really interesting conversation about the paintings, about ecology, like our relationship to nature, which are really heavy themes in the work. So it just settled. I think everyone really understood what was happening in the show. It's, a, it's quite a lot to take on that at your opening to sit down and be like, we're digging in. You were digging and it actually- He's, he's doctor. He's a He's doctor. He's not just some guy with a microphone. And I kept a- calling him doctor because it's like, this is important. You work hard for this title. I'm going to keep using it. So that was really great. And I felt that the work stood up to that kind of engagement. And there were lots of artists in the room who were also interested and happy to kind of engage in the paintings on a painterly level, not just on a kind of talking, intellectual kind of... Have you ever sort of had your work picked apart or you even picked apart in that kind of clinical that academic way no and it's a completely different way of looking at art in a great way like it's necessary and I'm a bit of a I just I just get in the studio do what I do and think about it much later but you see for some people analysis is just part of every moment of their life and I'm like I'm not that way, but I'm interested in that way of being. 
So it was great to have that at the opening. And it, I think I felt better for it. Did you take anything away from it? Because obviously once you have somebody else, especially someone of esteem, take a critical look at your work and your practice and ultimately you, does it or did last night in any way alter your perception of how other people might see or how you feel about your work? I think it added weight. I feel like the work is quite intense. The show is quite intense. The themes are quite uh, so somber in some ways. And to have it grounded in a slightly less emotional place, though the work is very emotional and kind of add historical context and like the relationship uh, with English landscape painting and that relationship to industrialization and so on and so forth. So there's just a lot of connections that I'm always thinking about, but struggle to kind of be eloquent in, in speech. And he's just very good at that. And a lot of the questions were good as well afterwards. Have you ever thought about your work in the kind of context, the wider context of art history and where you fall into? Not probably till this show. I feel like it's in a way takes a lot of ego to be like, where am I in the canon? It's a bit insane. So it's not that, that I'm not doing that. I'm just engaging with it maybe more than I would have done a few years ago. I'm less, I think for my earlier paintings, I was almost anxious to escape and to find something different or more more unknown, more mysterious in the painting, something that maybe a, an audience from home would be like, oh, where is this place? What does this mean? Now people are, are definitely recognising the landscape and that's actually kind of comforting. And I think people engage with it more. Like they see themselves more in it. Where is the landscape? Whereas, I mean, it's to me it's kind of... A, These real places. They're not necessarily real, but they're from observations, whether it be a cut down tree or a, me going for a walk in, spent a lot of time in Surrey, a lot of time in the kind of southeast of the country, which... All England? Uh, yeah, in, in many, I think it's a generalized English landscape. So I know this kind of flat, even, cultivated, beautiful, but very controlled like landscape that's what I'm familiar with and that's kind of what I'm putting in it's not I wouldn't call it magnificent like I wouldn't call the English landscape magnificent I think the Scottish landscape definitely is I mean I'm not going to disagree with you on that one or the north of England you did win but the south of England has it's quite a passive space so I'm interested in that kind of cultivation and what it says about the country and the history and all of those kind of things um, and that's started to leak out into the work, I think. All the land is spoken for feels like a, at this exact moment, feels like a very pertinent title. Uh, uh. Was that the starting point of the body of work? How, how was it structured? I mean, it's something that I'm always thinking about, this need to own or to overtake landscapes, whether that be for cultural reasons, wars, colonization, you know, there are many reasons why people move into different spaces and create ownership around it. But then in the last few months, that has kind of hit a, 
it's a, new, a new meaning, not for the people experiencing these things in the places that they've always been experiencing, but I think for a Western audience, they're suddenly grappling with the history and why people are so <laughs> angry and different. Not angry, but why people's history has been so affected in certain parts of the world. And so maybe talking about it from a home perspective, you know, Britain itself is a colonized nation in terms of its psychology, its history, its understanding of itself. It's very, it's almost like it ha it's lost its own understanding of the land when most cultures have that relationship. But maybe Britain was the first place it colonized. It colonized itself first and then moved outwards, mm -hmm. um, which is an interesting thought to reflect back on oneself rather than always outside. When did this title kind of kick in? Do you remember that moment? Uh, I think it was around a few, three or four months ago. I was watching a video with an artist. I do not remember their name, but they said a line where he was talking about when he was growing up, he was what he would go out into the landscape and then he suddenly realized that, oh, this land is owned by people. And it was like a loss of innocence for him that he just, he never imagined land in those kind of, in that kind of function as a, as a part of an economy or something like that. And then he suddenly realized, oh, all this land is spoken for by people. People own this space. And that kind of just hit home. Uh, and something I grew up, spending a lot of time out in the countryside, going to schools out of the town I was in. And there was a level of freedom that you'd experience just being outside, being in fields, not being bothered by teachers. You know, there's just a freedom that you can experience that is really valuable. Um, so yeah, I think that's when that came. Did, where did you grow up? I mean, I just read it as London, and that's such a vague answer. I was born in London, and then we very quickly moved out of London to north of Luton. Um, and then I've been between there since university, so about 10 years now, kind of living this almost dual life of being in specifically southeast London and then going back and forth. So what was your, have you always had that kind of strong affinity then with the natural landscape? I think it, yeah, I think it's kind of like a, your longing for it. Like I long for nature, but then I also long for the city. You long for a time? Um, not really. The world in your paintings, like these could be landscapes from now, but this time period, I, I get a sense that it's, it's certainly not as reflective of now. It's certainly not reflective of, of Britain right now. And I wonder if there's a sense of a longing for a particular time, time. within the work. I don't know if it's in the past that I'm longing for necessarily. There's an element of that. But I think it's a kind of future projection where we've kind of rediscovered our space and place in the world. So it's maybe... I think it could be tricky as well when you start to long for a past because it's so rose-tinted and things like Completely. that. Completely. The kind of the destruction of nostalgia is such a, it can be quite poisonous at times, you know? It, it is, and uh, interestingly, landscape is often used, landscape painting is often used as a tool to kind of 
a stir up feelings of longing for a past time. Usually it's aligned with nationalism. If you look at German uh, history and British history within painting. Um, so there's that complicated relationship to things, which I don't think, I think I'm interested in that as well, the tension that comes with that. I think it's a wide open space in the modern kind of arti artistic landscape. I almost feel like people don't know what to do with landscape painting because everything is so figure-based at the moment. Everything's really figure-based and there's a lot of the work that I had seen from you did have, it wasn't necessarily central to around a character, but there was always, there was always people present within there. In a lot of this work, you've stepped away from that. Is that for this show or is that something that's always been quite consistent, this idea of trying to be able to break away from total figuration? I think I was getting frustrated. It's like, it's important, but for the dynamic of a painting or a, a paint, paintings that I enjoy. So I went to see the, interestingly, actually, I went to see the um, Nicole Eisenman show at Whitechapel. I swear, this is now the fourth <laughs> you should go. <laughs> person to bring up the Nicole Today, Eisenman show. It's, it's what, insane how many it, people have weird. brought that up. It's, well, because I think she... She is a figure, she works with the figure a lot, but the figure becomes a landscape. The way she plays with the paint, there's this kind of cartoonish element to it. So I think if you're going to do the figure, it has to be like at some point for me, I'm like, okay, I need to work on why I'm doing this. What does it relate to within painting, but also experimentation with paint? So I think I'm reevaluating why I'm painting the figure and then. I kind of take things out, think about them, then put them back in. But it has to, like, I have to keep pushing. I mean, every show I try and keep pushing one element, whether it be the foliage, the structure of the paintings, the scale of the paintings. Um, I think the last few years has been really important for that. But yeah, I love that show, the Nicole Eisenman show. Would recommend... I think it closes. I think, I think it does it, in two it, days. It, I think it's literally the last chance. But the time this is all, I mean, it's, it, the ship has sailed. What were some of the sort of the differences and themes then that you were wanting to tackle in this body of work that that maybe you hadn't done before, or was it more of a technical development, de developmental exercise? I think it's both. I think it's a technical development. There's more perspective. There's different perspectives there's more dynamics within the show and each painting it's less front-on figure uh, foliage I kind of you can lock yourself into those things very easily um, and now the figures are existing within the space they're not being presented to you so much or if they're being presented to you they're they're engulfed by the environment and that's been great. And also just having no figures in the painting has been great. It's very freeing to just have a tree or some grass or, and that's something I'll continue for the next show. Is that new for this one? Yes, yeah, yeah. What were some of the challenges in that then for you as, a, as an artist trying to break away from something that felt, I guess, I hope this doesn't get taken the wrong way, but safer, having a, having a figure in there and then suddenly being able to go, okay, well actually let's focus on this tree. I think it was, I mean, there's some figure, there's some trees that were figures before. 
and I just painted over them. I was like, no, no, no more. Um, so it, it, I, I find change easy. I'm not like in my studio feeling anxious, how's this gonna work? I'll get maybe one or two opinions outside of myself that I trust. And they usually will echo what I'm feeling about it. Oh, you trust them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Biased. I think, they, I think they call that an echo chamber. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, this echo chamber works for me. But I think you ha kind of have to, there has to be an edge with the people who are in your studio where they, so their work can be completely different to mine. And I kind of like that when there is almost no relationship to our practices but they kind of understand the sensibilities that I'm trying to bring to my own work. And that can be vice versa. The artists, do you like the opinion of artists? Yes. They need to be artists. No, it can, I mean, it can be anyone. Artists tend to be more technical and to the point. If you get a writer in there, they'll be talking about something completely that is important, but it's not about the aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, it's a game of aesthetics, what we're doing. We're not, it's, you know, it's a visual experience. Unpack that one for me. I like that. I've never heard that expression, a game of aesthetics. So what do you mean by that? It's not a sound recording. It's not a film, which involves those two things, sound, visuals, uh, direction, editing. So there's none of that. It has to function. Just you look at it, you engage with it. It can be a split second, but it has to have an impact on that level. And then you can read into it. Through of English landscape Exactly. Painting. But if it doesn't do anything for you, then it's kind of, or for, it's everything, everything is biased. But if it doesn't have some bite to it, then what's the point? So that's the thing I'm kind of trying to engage with more at the moment. And that can be about the thickness of the paint, the weight of the canvas, the way I, you know, it ha it's small things that for me make really great paintings. Obviously I work fig figurative, so it's different for abstract artists and so on and so forth. I feel like that's what I'm always pushing. Do you see yourself slipping into an abstract route? I think I mean, that, that feels maybe. like such a, a, a kind of trajectory. You know, you're like, cool, I've learned no how to paint the, the body. Yeah. And then it's like, suddenly the body's gone, you're doing, mm, and then it's mm, like, oh, okay, here we yeah. go. Yeah. I mean, all my favorite painters change so much. So, I mean, not even painters, but artists, someone like Kiki Smith, who's works with print or sculpture or not really painting, but she does paint. Even someone like Philip Gusson, who was painting the figure then he wasn't then he was again but it's not the figure like it was when he was 20 it's a completely different engagement a slight thread a connection of that person's history in their hand that they can't shake but it's a completely different painting that you could almost say was done by a different artist but actually as soon as you connect those dots you're like well, of course it was painted by that artist exactly and i i love that i think if you just keep evolving there's no maybe that's naive but I think there's no problem in just like, okay, now I've done all, I'm just going to focus on tree bark. <laughs> like, or that becomes its own form of abstraction when you zoom in so heavily into things. So who knows? I mean, I've still got time. <laughs> I've got time. That's what you think. <laughs> I should start now. <laughs> I should start now. <laughs>
Well, what was your relationship with art then growing up? Was it always part of your life? You're speaking of these artists that have these kind of like grander careers and, and trajectories behind them. So was art always part of your life? I mean, yeah, I uh, grew up with parents who were in the arts. My dad's a musician, but he studied fine art. You're a musician as well, aren't you? I do make music, yeah. I used to. <laughs> For the podcast, there was a slight, there was a slight, slight twinge in the face. No, there. Yeah. Not had a lot of time recently, but who knows? But so there's, it's always, it's always been there. Always kind of gone to to exhibitions. Not a lot, but once my parents kind of saw that I enjoyed it, they encouraged it. It was very natural, like. And it was easy and you could just be quiet and do some painting. So no one's going to be like, do something else. It's so it's a very, and then at around 16, I had some great art teachers in my sixth form and they just really encouraged me to, I don't know, almost professionalize the way I was working. It was very, it, now I look at the way they taught, it was a very, good setup for what I'm doing at the moment. Go on. About being consistent, looking at your technical, uh, you know, bettering yourself technically, copying older artists. Let's go back then, you're 16 years old and I look in your sketchbook, what does it look like? I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of Lucian Freud because why not? His portrait is portrait. It's pretty fucking good at pretty it. Pretty great. <laughs> you get a copy from someone. Exactly. Um, also, my my teacher was great at. She loved oil paint, and so she was like, "You should you should do oil paint." Pretty much immediately from when I started painting, um, and then I was painting portraits that were quite strong from a young age, and then I kind of moved away. From, but I think this foundation of quite thorough technical understanding of paint kind of loosening it up after university and then going now I feel like getting back into that kind of I think these paintings relate more to the paintings I was making in my teenage years weirdly aesthetically I don't know why the way I'm using the paint is almost going back there because you had a period now you just revisit it but with a kind of more informed approach I exactly. guess exactly enjoy oils do you enjoy that different approach to making it and the different results that that can bring you I mean I love oil paint I think you can do anything with it you can it's really one of the most versatile ways of working I've tried acrylic <laughs> I'm just not great with it there's so there's an underpainting that I often work on with acrylic but then I have to oil just like makes things alive I don't know it creates this organic element within the work I'm addicted I should probably try some other things I mean I print and use watercolor so there's that other side of the practice as well in her painting all that eats is eaten from 2023 a genderless nude figure looks across the plains, holding the lifeless body of a snake in their hand. This not-so-quiet nod to Christian lore invites questions on what shape the world would take if not for the indoctrination of organised religion. I wanted to find out more from Kemi about the role religion played in her life and in the work. I do think it... I'm not... I'm not a religious person. And... I have not, but my 
My dad grew up with quite religious parents. And so there was that filtered through when they would visit, I was suddenly confronted by religion. And it, what was this religion? It was Islam. So they were, they're Muslim, but then they're also Christians in the family because it's a Nigerian family and they're often mixed religions. Break that down for me. We're talking English, Greek, Nigerian. A lot going on. Greek Orthodox? Yes. Yeah. So, but my granddad grew up, my Greek grandfather grew up in Egypt because there were a lot of Greeks in Alexandria before Suez Canal. And yeah, yeah. so then he left and, but he was more culturally Arabic in many ways in his, in his understanding of the world. He was kind of North African, but Greek inherited. A little Ottoman in there. Yeah, you know, it's all going up. Not that they'd like to know that, but it's true. There's all these convergent, strong uh, cultures and religions going on in the house. and artifacts from all of these places, family photographs. So I think it just seeps in there and people's lives are still being dominated by these very heavy theologies, very intense ways of, ways of, exactly, ways of living. So it kind of, it seemed unavoidable in some ways. I personally don't really have a relationship to religion in that way, but I think it's naive to not put it in painting. Painting is so heavily influenced by that. It's almost like you've got to, got to get stuck in. The minute you go into the National Gallery or any space where there's historical painting, and it bolsters the work in some ways, because these ideas are so crazy, so dramatic, so filled with contradictions. Like, I just... I think as I get older, I'm more fascinated by it. As a voyeur? As a voyeur, there's probably something a bit kind of like <laughs> weird to be engaging in such, but it does, it does influence people's lives. It influences family members' lives in all kinds of ways. Coming from a background of, you know, so much going on, was there conflict between these or was it quite harmonious? Did you get to see, was religion particularly functioning in quite a a holistic way that felt like an extension and a, a real something that would lift people up rather than what we see so much on, you know, just turn on the news right now and it crushes people. I think people's, at least having heard my granddad's experience of Alexandria when he was growing up, he was born in 1930. And there were Jewish people, Christians, Muslims, all living together in Alexandria pretty harmoniously and engaging with one another in a way that was very equal. So that was kind of his understanding of religion. And then on my dad's side, Nigerians, is, it's a multi-faith country. So you have, now things are changing a bit. What do you mean? As in things have hardened, people have hardened for lots of reasons. Not the general population, but you have this influx of it. Uh, kind of jihadists and stuff in the north. So things have shifted, but at least when I was a kid and hearing about people's relationship to one another, it was like people marry, intermarry. And it's not a problem. I mean, it might be, but, but less of people aren't going to be like, I know so many, I have so many aunt cousins. A lot of my cousins are Christian. I didn't grow up necessarily with a lot of religion and some are Muslim. And this is perfectly normal and very common at least in my group my family's group which is Yoruba people and so that's kind of 
brings an, a kind of community and understanding that people are the same. They just <laughs> go to different places to pray. So that's an interesting something maybe that's also played into the way I generalize the spaces and the people within my work. They're not definable by those kind of external things. They don't even have hair to let you know whether they're male or female. So it's like trying to even out those differences maybe within the work. There's definitely a sense of trying to strip away those power structures, whether it's the patriarchy, whether it's religion, things like that within your work. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. I think it's subconscious, but maybe it's growing up feeling like lots of things and seeing lots of different cultures and histories. And ultimately, people are just trying to do the same thing, which is survive. Particularly at the moment, it feels <laughs> We're like we've gone to survive. real. We've gone from thrive <laughs> to survive. <laughs> just like get yeah. through this shit. Yeah, it's feeling like that. How do you feel when you're painting? I feel... I feel zoned in like I don't feel distracted I don't feel anxious I mean sometimes a painting will give anxiety like there's one painting in this show that was giving me anxiety <laughs> you've got to ask you which one <laughs> it's the one with the figure crouching down in the tree oh man I had to repaint that a few times why it was just a small kind of the first layer of color I put down next to the colors I laid on top just weren't functioning well in the in the next to one another so it's small things like that that can give me a bit of kept showing my partner at like midnight like what do you think this painting on like a tiny it's like I just I don't know (laughs) and then the worst part is when when you get a vague answer because you're like it's not as good as I want I have to go back in there so that was fine. But I kind of like that. Once you've battled with it and you come out on top sometimes, you're like, that was... You sort things out within a painting. How do you feel about it now? I like it. I think there's... I think there's things that I resolved in that that I can take into a different... You know, different uh, paintings or shows or, you know, with the thickness of the paint at the top in the sky. Um and the speed at which that last layer went on was was kind of a nice way to work. What is the architecture of a painting for you? Then? I mean, it's generally first layer of the painting is kind of a specific color that I feel. What was before that then? Where does it, is it, are you sketching, is it? Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, there's sketching, there's. How much of an idea do you have in your head of what that's going to look like before you start and how similar is that to the kind of final result and what are those stages within it, I guess is probably Mm. a better question. I'm looking now. I mean, I will, a lot of these paintings will have come from sketches that I'll do on the train or I would have seen an image maybe in a book or on Instagram or on the internet in general and I'll screenshot that and then I'll think about it as a composite. I won't just copy it out but it might be a canyon with trees across it like and I say okay how can I involve that in a painting Um, and then I'll sketch I don't do a huge amount of the same sketch over and over again if something's good ideas there yeah I'll isolate that so and then I'll place that within the work and then when it comes to the painting it will be acrylic 
very quick sketch again like a drawing and then I might hate that but I'll be like okay I'm gonna paint it anyway and then I'll battle with it and then it will come out fine in the end but it's like it's a I think every paint some paintings happen in hours and others take weeks and you just have to see it through to the end I I work quickly so when things start to go into like the second month of painting it <laughs> like what's happening what will it take you to just scrap something and start again some things I just don't see them in they don't have a context in the work they might be useful for learning about the color or the structure of what I want to do in another painting but they don't fulfill what I want from painting fully and I'm quite happy. I used to really want to make everything work, but I'm like, and it can be a big painting that's really grand, grand in its ambitions. But if it's not working, I'm just, just not going to put it in. Are you thinking in terms of shows then? Or are you thinking of, of individual bodies? Or do you just start painting and then start to figure out like... It builds. There's a universal theme connecting all these. Yes. Yeah. Like for this show... Sim came and we we were discussing it and it's also quite collaborative. I'm quite happy to present whoever I'm working with with the body of works that I've made. And then from there we can talk about it and does this work with this? What is this saying? And I think every show is a kind of puzzle for me. It has to work in the space. I can't just make it as a body and then say it. it's all going up and this is what it is then it, to me, is kind of a way of designing. And I don't think I'm designing something. I'm like, so for this, there were paintings that just didn't work together when we put them in the space. And I didn't have them in the show. That's interesting. So what is it that you're looking for from a gallery? The structure of the art world is so ever-changing. Artists definitely have so much more of an independence and the reliance or the role of a gallery seems to be changing. So for you as an artist, what is it that you're looking for from, from a gallery? I think space, time to make. Um, obviously, with an understanding that I would like a career, so that has to be some... I think you've got a career, don't you? <laughs> no, but a consistent one, so... How long have you been full-time on this? Four years. The second solo With year. Sim, yeah, third in general. Yeah, in the um, space of, like... Three years yeah, post-COVID, right? Yeah, it's been intense. Would I call you a post-COVID painter? A post-COVID artist? I, a post-COVID full-time pa painter. Which, so it's not been very long, but it feels like a lot has, I've changed a lot, the work has changed a lot, but in a, it still feels organic. It doesn't feel like, and that has, when I decided to work with Sim in a consistent way, I noticed that she's, very attentive to what you need and what your work is saying and how you make. And she was encouraging me to keep making a variety of stuff. Like not just this thing, but all of it, make all of it all the time if that's what you want to do and then figure it out as you go along. Um, and for someone whose focus is a bit all over the place, that was like, wow, I can just, so that not having to compromise that, but also being able to be consistent and have shows coming up and not neglect my natural way of working has been really good. What is your natural way of working? 
random. <laughs> this is my natural way of working. You are, are you a sort of three in the morning kind of painter? Or no, you... I mean, it's random in once I'm in the studio, I'll be going between things. Multiple paintings. Multiple paintings. I mean, I'm very consistent in the sense that on a day-to-day basis, I'm in the same, at the same time and I leave at the same time. And I'm a daytime painter. Like I'm not, I'm not going past 10. (laughs) And and as a mother, this must, uh, this must inform a lot of your practice. Yes. So like, I'm just doing the math now. So you got twins Uh who are two and a half years old and a full-time art career that came out post-COVID. So this was like a big transition for you right about that post-COVID era. Yeah. And that must've been quite an intense period. It was, but it was, I think it's kind of allowed me to be very structured and all the kind of extra bits of life of like, oh, maybe I'll just sit here for three hours and watch videos, which is very easily done in a studio. Not that I don't do that, but there's a sense of like, okay, now, now let's, let's figure out what's going on. And I feel more attuned to the work in a weird way. I don't know. A lot more focused, but then also lots of time to explore within the studio. I find the studio has, it's changed a lot. I've moved space a lot, but now I feel more settled where I am. And that's been really good. Are you kind of like still digging through other references as you're going or trying to, what is it that you're sourcing or looking for for inspiration during these periods in the studio? In the last couple of years, have you had that kind of writer's block that just stops you or are you, are you kind of churning things out constantly? I mean, I have it, but it's, I think I'm so desperate to be there by the time I get there. I'm like, this is great. It's a holiday. It's peaceful. It's quiet. It's calm. So I think I value that time so much. I almost don't have time to worry about, you know, or hesitate. Sounds funny, but it just all seems very lucid suddenly. Or I feel that about the work. I'm I'm interested in this particular period then of you kind of going full time. How did that come How did you know that it was the right time? What was it that kind of got you into that place going from before into going, hey, now I'm doing solo shows and exhibiting, you know, consistently? I mean, it feels it was quick, but it also feels like it was built on a lot of consistency and working with different, uh, different on different group shows. Um, So it felt like a gradual step up. And then suddenly I feel like it was manageable. I wasn't suddenly Mm -hmm. unable to cope. That's been, I mean, I've been very lucky in that sense that I can manage it all, but I've just had to be very, very organized about things. (laughs) Has becoming a mother changed your practice in any way? I mean, obviously I can't just, sketch whenever I want or do these kind of things. Change the work. It's just, I think it's, it's definitely made the work, again, because of all of these factors of time and energy, I've had to be, yeah, I've just had to be more focused. And that has given me, given me a boost, I think. People giving me a deadline, I'm like, I can do that. Instead of worrying about it for six months. Over the period of working in these themes, has it changed or how, how has your understanding of what it means to be human changed? Mm. I mean, that relates to that, to motherhood really, doesn't it? And mm. 
dealing with very basic parts of life, survival. The survival is something that can't look after itself. Um, and so everything becomes much more visceral. It's not, you know, if you need to go and get shopping, you have to factor. There's so many logistical things that suddenly are important for you to plan ahead for. And I think that's played into how specific I am in the paintings, whether it be, sounds funny, like the thickness of the sky in a certain area. I'm just more aware of everything, more tuned into everything, more tuned into how other people paint and why they're making that decision. So yeah, I think a lot of growing up in the last <laughs> three years. And obviously I'm feeling more relaxed now that early part of children is coming that very early stage settling settling and so i'm feeling more like flexible and like myself and i can go here and i can be doing different kind of activities and i'm sleeping more which helps different boring. <laughs> which really helps a lot aware of that early i know i know like you've taken a lot of drugs and you just have to function <laughs> throughout the day um how would you say your relationship is then with these kind of uh urban spaces with the city because there's obviously this kind of sense of longing for a nature natural world within there but how do you feel being in the city and in these built up developed spaces do you feel a connection to it do you feel i do i mean that's maybe that's why i like south london so much is you've got you've got very large green spaces that are kind of protected for the population to be in but then you also so i studios near the aylesbury estate which is one of the biggest council estates in europe if not the biggest and it's more or less derelict but they're just the council just keep it running um, and so you're witnessing this kind of quite desperate experience of city life next to Burgess Park, which is like green and and it's this duality that I'm kind of fascinated in, in London specifically. It's a very unusual city in the sense that it's incredibly green, but it's also incredibly densely packed. Um, so I do, yeah, I, I think weirdly being in a city has made me can like engage with what landscape means more in a more complicated way possibly than if I just stayed in the countryside I'd be like oh the hedges are pretty but <laughs> well that's it because there's not it isn't it isn't that side of landscape painting no it's not it's not like oh in this nice nice fields and the what is the difference then? Because it's not, I don't ever look at your work and think that, but but what is it that separates that? I mean, I think the colours are a bit dystopian, especially in this show. Not dystopian, but they, they're kind of, they're not easy to digest. Like it's yellows and oranges and purples and kind of vivid greens, not pastoral greens, but kind of neon-y, acidic greens. Uh, so I think there's... There's lots to consider. It's almost like these paintings are in a, they're like a stage set. They look like they've been modeled mm -hmm. and I'm just painting the model version of a landscape. What informs the color palette then? I mean, it kind of plays from painting to painting. I look at the one I've made before. I'm like, okay, how can I respond to that one? And the theme of this show was quite somber. And I think then that just 
rolls on to the next thing. But I think for my next show, I'm more in, I'm almost want to reverse that. And that's more about me technically just wanting to understand how to paint with more bright, vivid colors, how to use white properly. Like these are the things that will go into my head as I go into the studio will be, okay, I've done dark, I've done some, but how do I reverse that? Make like a daylight version almost. That a show that's in production, is it, in, is it walked off or is it still sort of in the early stages? I mean, I have a show later on in the year with Night Gallery in LA in end of June. So I've got time, but so, and maybe also the landscape of LA is kind of playing in my subconscious and that idea of a place and it's a desert. It's also got this huge population. Are you making the work for that environment then? Not, it's in my do you mind. See, do, you see you, do you see the body of work changing, looking, starting to feel, because this feels... You know, very British. Yeah, it in does. There, do you think that desert, that raw, I think it will play a part. will start to come in. I think it will, and I, t I tend to end up going. If I go travel, I tend to go to like very dry parts of Spain or southern Italy. So I've kind of engaged with that landscape a lot recently, mm -hmm. and it's so drastically different to the vivid green of Britain that it's kind of attractive. It just offers something different in painting. Um, so yeah. It won't be a complete change, but it is in my mind. I almost feel like I have to respond to the ecology of the place that I'm working with. How has working with the British landscape impacted how you feel about Britain? I think it's made me feel more warmly. Does it develop a stronger sense of connection to it? I think it does. Do you feel does. more further away? Or? I feel closer to it. I think after Brexit and the pandemic and a lot of grim politics that we've been experiencing the last decade, it's kind of alien. I feel a bit alienated towards it as a place. I think a lot of people kind of struggling to understand what, Britishness means at the moment, or Englishness means. I think the wrong people seem to be hijacking what it, what that Britishness. Yes, means. yeah. You know, it's like, and you talked. I don't even know if it was before we hit record, but it was like this idea of how the landscapes had been used by as forms of nationalist propaganda, and it's like, well, is this an attempt to reclaim those those tools? Uh, the Olympics were such a turning point for what that idea of Britishness. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And actually, it was like, oh, I, you know, this is this is kind of this kind of cool. Like, Three days, <laughs> it was uh, like like kind of the, like the right people live behind behind this message. Yeah, it felt heartfelt. It is an element of that, and also one finds in more rural places there's a weird thing where people are one on one hand much more conservative, but they can also be more helpful and engaged in the moment so i think there's that sense I, I was looking at ingrid pollard's work who um she's an older but well, older she's kind of older mid career that was very diplomatic thank you nailed it <laughs> she's been work she's from a caribbean background and i don't know if she's born in this country but she often engages in landscape the English landscape being a black person in this country and what that kind of history entails and 
And it's a way of grounding her in a place that she often felt slightly ill at ease at or rejected by. Like that idea, and it kind of made me think, oh, well, why do, why don't I feel like I can't, I shouldn't be doing that? Like, there's something in that of a kind of almost self-therapy <laughs> that you can have through the art. And I think that has definitely helped kind of claw back some of my disdain at <laughs> the moment we're in. And I imagine for other people as well. Hopefully. I mean, I hope seeing someone like me paint the paintings I paint will make people think, oh, maybe I can engage in that subject matter as well. Did you ever feel that there was like some sense of pressure either, you know, put on yourself or from external places to make a certain type of work? to not make British landscapes that felt like they could have been painted by the hand of, you know, someone like Turner? I don't know. I don't know if I ever cared. I I think there was almost like, I don't know what to do with you, that kind of thing. Like, you're not from here. You don't fit in this box, but you also do this. And then you also... So I'm like, and I sound so young. You know how some artists have this whole history of no one wanted me to paint like this, but I did it. I'm like, no one's against me. I just saw my own in a room. I just want to paint. No one's going to be like, you can't paint that. So, so I don't have that antagonistic relationship to, I'm not Kanye West. <laughs> you know, that kind of sense of like, no one wants me to do what I'm doing. But I think there's not much precedent. So I think, okay, well, let me, this is what I enjoy, this is what I like to paint, let me do it. I don't think it matters what other people expect of you necessarily. People expect all kinds of stuff. They always do. There's definitely a trend towards figuration. With artists of color? I think so. I think because it's almost like a way of, of pushing against other people's representation of you is to over-represent yourself in a way is to be like this is what we are I'm like okay that's interesting but I kind of never wanted to do that so I kind of kind of like it's cool that they've done that but that's not for you I'm not annoyed I'm not upset but I'm not like but I'm but it's not necessarily what I'm interested in doing so I'll just do what I'm doing and look at what other people are doing and enjoy that for what it is but I don't feel the pressure to push that into my own painting how much does identity politics factor into how you're presenting yourself as an artist then? That's not too loaded. I mean, it, it, it's in everything you do, really. You just, in terms of, I just try and be myself, whatever that means. And that comes with a lot of contradiction and complexity for a lot of reasons, being mixed race, being of, being a woman, you know, for a lot, I love reading comments on YouTube videos about f with female artists. It's just, it's just guys who are just angry. <laughs> angry guys that almost, that almost never have a picture of themselves they, in their never, profile. Never, never, but so I'm just like, I like people are going to be annoyed, whatever. Some people, very few will be annoyed, whatever you do. So just do what you're doing. Anything else that you want to say to the world? Come see the show if it's edited before the show ends. The show end? It ends on the 10th of February. Come see the show. It's on at Simsmith, Camberwell.
the show in LA. Oh yeah, that doesn't open till June. It'll definitely the, be out by then. Yeah, it'll be it will be out by then. So that's not till the end of June, twenty twenty four. Um, and then I've got a show with James Cohen Gallery, that's ha- New York. That, uh, yeah, that opens today until the tenth of February as well. Perfect. That's good. Just great. That will that will please our American audience. Yeah. So you can see it. In, you can see a few paintings in New York, which is great. All the details for the show she's just mentioned will be in the show notes of this episode. Thank you to Kemi on a bully. Thank you to Sim Smith for hosting us. That's it for me today. We'll be back with you real soon. Till that moment comes, take care of yourselves and each other.